All right, well, if you missed the Content Conference, it really was a remarkable weekend. Um, I think we were challenged, many found connection, and we were inspired to live for Christ in the midst of a really complex world. So today I'm excited to announce that if you missed the conference, this Wednesday you're going to receive an email with access to all the recordings, the main sessions, the breakout sessions, um, all of it. So if you, if you were there, take some time to go back and rewatch your favorite parts, or if you missed it, um, you can now watch the talks and be encouraged <clears throat> and learn how to contend for the faith. Now speaking of um, contending for the faith, I don't know about you, but the 21st century has often felt to me like walking a bit through a maze on these complex issues. Does anybody else feel like that? Uh, you know, you're moving along and you're trying to make the best decisions you can when you, you, you come to a dead end and you feel trapped in the maze of life. Now, some people out there, you might enjoy walking through a maze. In fact, if you were to Google world's best mazes, you will probably find a ton of pictures. Uh, the best and biggest one I found is in China, this one right here. Uh, tell me if it doesn't feel like this sometimes, life. The, the Yangcheng Dafeng Dream Maze. Check this thing out right here. I mean, wow. Like, this dream maze has been determined by the Guinness World Records to be the largest permanent maze in the world. In fact, the maze is so large that there are several rest areas and games so vi visitors can take a break as you're going through it. If you were to follow one particular path to the maze's conclusion, you would actually walk a full six miles through this maze. Now, that, that can take all day, and I think you might even get lost. You turn left or left, you turn right, you, you can't get out. It's madness. And so as we start today, what I'd like to do is invite you to close your eyes and picture yourself in this maze. Just for a second, close your eyes and ask yourself, if you were in a maze like this, how does it feel? Right, there's hedges on either side, you try to leave, but there's frustration at every turn. Maybe you even pause, you get to the middle, you pause, you sit down on the ground and you, you, you've tried for hours to get out and you can't and you just start to cry. You can open your eyes. I mean, you see, it's in moments like that in life when it feels like you're in the middle of a maze and it seems like you've tried every possible solution to your problem that you throw your hands up in exasperation and you just cry out, help, help. We say, God, could you just show me the way? Show me what to do next. Show me how to get out of this crazy, mad situation I'm in right now. When you're in the middle of the maze and you're lost, all we want is a guide. Is that how it feels? Right? You see, many people have gone into the maze of life and they got stuck and they prayed. They were asking the guide for help, but God didn't answer in the way they wanted him to. And so they gave up on him. In fact, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're on the precipice of that. And now the reason I'm spending all this time describing the maze right now is because for some of us, how we handle the maze will determine how we relate to God in our lives. Because when we feel stuck, when we feel lost, when life has thrown us a curveball and blocked our next move, it's in those moments that, that we can look for a guide or we can take matters into our own hands. So how, do you gonna, how are you going to navigate the difficult terrain of the maze of life? Well, thankfully, we've actually come to chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon is going to talk to us about the important topic of wisdom. 
wisdom. Now, wisdom is needed to navigate the difficult mazes we encounter because when, when challenges come our way, when, when challenges create uncertain paths, the question we start to ask is this, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? Have you ever asked that question in prayer? <laughs> we all have at some point, or we will. And the question hits us on at least two levels. First, there, there's those big decisions in life. You know, where do you, where do you live? Where do you go to school? Who do you marry? Should, should we have kids? How many? Uh, what should I pursue for my career? Those are the big questions that we're always asking God. What's your will in this situation? And we need wisdom to navigate that maze. But secondly, there's also the challenge of unexpected challenges. Unexpected challenges are thrust upon us in life. So somebody gets sick and dies, or, or you, you don't get into that school, or that relationship ends, and, and you start moving through this maze of life, but maybe you, you get halfway through this, this maze, and then you start to near the exit when all of a sudden you're blocked. You have to turn around. The path you were taking, it's a dead end. And now you got to choose left, right, go back. What do I do? In our desire to find God's will, we often ask a crucial question. What is the wisest thing to do? What is the wisest thing to do? And so we, we pursue wisdom to navigate the maze of life as we seek God's will for our lives. But Solomon ends Ecclesiastes 8 with a really difficult lesson for us. What does he say? In verse 7, 16, he says this, in, search, in my search of wisdom... And in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I have discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. And you say, okay, all right, that makes sense. You know, people, people have burdens, we got challenges. Some of you are saying amen. I got a lot of challenges right now, Pastor Bob. Yeah, and they're coming every day. I go to bed, I wake up, challenge. That's my life. Now, people who know this, he says, are wise. But you read a verse like this and you think, well, if, if I want to navigate those challenges, I just need more what? I need more wisdom. But then look at verse 17. He says, I realized that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything no matter what they claim. You mean that if I pursue wisdom, even if I seek God's will for my life, I might not understand everything? Yes, that's what he's saying. And I think the reason we don't understand everything is that God may get us purposely stuck in the middle of that proverbial maze because he says, maybe you need to stop at one of those rest areas and ask me what I'm doing and seek me. He says, it's the wise person who understands that they can't know everything and they need a God. And, and that's the tension, right? Do you feel stuck in the middle of a maze right now? Now, as we've been going through this series, we, we've encountered a lot, of, a lot of big topics, right? Meaning and, and purpose, and we talked about time and, and work and money and suffering last week. Those are, those are big issues. Each of those has their own maze to go through, or, or maybe, more rightly stated, they're, they're part of a larger maze of life that we're navigating, now, what I want to talk with you about today is how to use wisdom to navigate the challenges that life brings you, because maybe, just 
maybe Jesus has you in the center of the maze to meet with him and learn something. That's what Solomon's going to teach us. So today we're going we're to approach this topic with three questions. And they're just simply this. What is wisdom? Uh, why do we need wisdom? And then finally, and maybe most anticipated, how do we get wisdom? So what is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? Uh, let's pray and ask God's Spirit to guide us today. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. We thank you that you are a, a mighty fortress as we sang about this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. And so we pray today that even in the difficult terrain that is before us, that we would love you even more, that we would seek you even more, and that you would make us wise people who cling to you. Help us to hear from your word today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So if we are going to have a sermon on wisdom... It is worth asking, what is it? What is wisdom? Well, Christian philosopher Paul Capan is really helpful here. He wrote a book called Loving Wisdom, and he defines wisdom really clearly and succinctly. He just simply says, wisdom is the skill of living. Wisdom is the skill of living. So if you want to assess your wisdom aptitude, you just have to ask, how skillful am I at life? Now, what he argues is that people should love wisdom, but he qualifies that rightly by stating that if we're going to love wisdom, we must rightly relate to God. What does Psalm 111.10 say? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And yes, wisdom is something to be practiced in life. Now, the Hebrew word for wisdom, which I noted there, is chokhmah. When the scriptures refer to human wisdom in the Hebrew conception, it's a development of the mind. Wisdom is an expansion of knowledge, an understanding of both the meaning of life and how that life must be lived. But more than that, all wisdom, the Bible tells us, comes from God. In other words, if you want to live a meaningful and moral life, you must know God through his son, Jesus Christ. You have to have a proper view of reality. Namely, that God is the creator of everyone and everything. And so Paul Copan rightly concludes. He says, ultimately, we can't truly have wisdom without being rightly connected to God and his word. We'll be out of touch with the human problem and its solution in Christ. That is, wisdom at its heart can't be secular or without God. Now, some might object right now, and you might say, well, Pastor Bob, that can't be true. There's a lot of people who aren't Christians, I know, who are pretty wise people. And yeah, that, that, that is true. I mean, God offers something to this world called common grace. In other words, God's grace uh, to many people, he gives that to them, and they have natural talents and sharp minds and moral inclinations, even if they don't choose to follow him. It's true, but... Because they don't know God through Jesus Christ, I don't think they can truly be wise because they don't have a correct view of reality. They might make good decisions, but for the wrong reasons. And, and this is what Solomon has been saying all along. He says, you can live with God or you can live without God. Your choice will ultimately take you in two polar opposite directions. But if you choose the without God life, you will never truly at its core, be wise, because when the rubber meets the road, at some point, someday, you will be exposed as a fool. 
True wisdom requires not just good decisions, but a correct view of this world. It's God's world. And because of that, when you're stuck in the middle of the maze, if you don't know the guide, you will eventually come to a dead end. Wisdom is a wonderful thing when you have it. How does Solomon uh, begin chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes? He says, how wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. So Solomon affirms the beauty of wisdom. And if wisdom is the skill of living, Solomon says that's a good thing. But that's, the second half of that phrase might be throwing some of you off balance because you're saying, is it really wonderful? Is it really beautiful to be an analyst? Right here, he starts to separate the wheat from the chaff because we have some different personalities in this room right now. So let's have some fun for just a moment, and I might get you into trouble with the person you're sitting next to. Um, How many of you out there are analyzers? Raise your hand. Okay, I see those hands, right? Now, don't be shy. And I know there's some more of you out there because right now you're thinking, why does he want me to raise my hand? I can hear you thinking. Yes, I know this because, true confession, I too am an analyzer. In fact, I got this sticker on the back cover of my iPad. It just says this. And if you're an analyzer, you get it. Yes. We are people who love data. How can you make a wise decision unless you have all the information? Right? Every rock has to be turned over. Every risk calculation must be made. We make decisions based on the facts, not feelings. (laughs) I heard an amen from the front row. All right. All right, so now we'll make it a little spicy here. How many of you out there are feelers? Raise your hand. Okay, I saw those hands shoot up, man. And I know because I could see you shaking your heads, laughing at the analyzers. I could see you're ready to jump out of your seat because you could just feel I was going to ask about you next. I know because I'm married to a feeler. You say, we don't need another piece of data. Sometimes you just got to go with intuition. You love to be spontaneous. You're going to take that risk. Ready, fire, aim, right? (laughs) Wisdom is this. You can't know everything. You have to feel it out as you go. Now, here's the thing. As I was describing each person, whether you're an analyzer or a feeler, the other group was likely judging you. You were saying, Pastor Bob, you are describing my pain. Yes. Now, here's the truth I want you to see. Both data analysis and intuition are part of skillful living. So if you're an analyzer, I hate to say, numbers don't say everything. We do need intuition. Now, if you're a feeler, you may need to be tempered with some empirical evidence. Both are part of wisdom and right living. And that's why you need a marriage partner. That's why you need good friends in a small group. We need balance. We need accountability. And the fact that Solomon starts chapter 8 with this, this, this way is because he's telling us that um, the measure of wisdom, getting wisdom, it's possible. It's, and that's significant because if you go back to chapter 7, at the end, Solomon was singing a very different tune. There he appears to question whether we can get wisdom at all. Look at verse 23 of chapter 7. He says, I've always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. And maybe wisdom was hard to find because the analyzers and the feelers were fighting with each other. I don't know. 
But he's been covering these really hard topics like money and suffering and all that. And what does he say? He says, in the midst of that, I needed wisdom. But it always felt distant. It felt like I was in the middle of a maze and there was no way out. Who can find it? Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, you mean you wanted to make a wise decision with what was before you, but wisdom just it felt so far away. Like even if I ran to it, it just keeps running, it keeps running away from me. It was difficult. Man, I've been there. Right? It seems so simple. Somebody comes up to you and says, just go make a wise decision. And 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 you look around many times and you say, like, all these options, like they're bad. I mean, is wisdom really to make the take take the least bad option? Well, maybe sometimes. Have you ever felt that way? In the words of the great philosopher Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, you just got to take it. <laughs> it feels that way, right? It seems that way sometimes. In those moments, you feel really unskilled at life. So Ecclesiastes 8.1, he's looking back over that previous quest for wisdom, and he's saying, wisdom is possible even in really hard circumstances. But he's also looking forward because we need wisdom for what's coming next in verse 2, which we're going to get to in a second. But to set up that transition, look at what Solomon says in the second half of verse 1. He says, wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. Okay, so are you saying that wisdom can actually change the way you interact with other people? Uh, yeah, it's supposed to. Some of us need to learn this. In fact, let, let me just, let's use speech as an example for a moment. How we speak, how we use words, that's a matter of wisdom. So imagine right now you're in a disagreement with your spouse. Maybe you don't have to imagine. It happened this morning. Or, or, or you're with a friend at school or, or a coworker. And the tensions are escalating, the, the disagreement is becoming really stark, and it's in that moment that you need to stop and ask, what's the wisest thing to do? And maybe it's pausing and listening and admitting maybe your fault and offering a word of encouragement. That can light up a person's face. But if you fire back, oh, you're probably going to get a scowl or worse. Or, or maybe you offer a word of advice that helps someone. That's going to lighten up their face with a smile. So be wise with your words. So what is wisdom? It is skillful living in our speech, actions, and decisions, especially when things are hard. Now before we move on to the next point, I just want to suggest that all of us in this room need a daily dose of wisdom. How are you getting wisdom every day? And that can come in the form of prayer and reading God's word. It can, it can be received through a, a conversation with a good friend or mentor. It can come from a wise teacher or a podcast or something. Um, you know, at, at the Content Conference, this was actually a topic we talked about a lot. And so maybe this week when you get the videos, uh, let that be your daily dose of wisdom. Whatever it is, we need a daily dose. But we also have to be discerning because not all wisdom is true wisdom. In fact, if you skip ahead to the New Testament, James, in his letter, tells us there's two kinds of wisdom, that there's heavenly wisdom from above, and there's earthly wisdom from below. And the latter seems like wisdom, but he says it's, it's not, it's false. What does he write? James three thirteen. he says, if you're wise, 
and, un- and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, that sounds like Solomon, right? He says, if wisdom's a skill at living, we're going to see it in how people live. But then he offers this sharp contrast, starting in verse 14. He says, but if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness, they're not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder of every, and evil of every kind. Now, do you see what he's saying? Right? There are things the world tells us are wise, but they're not. In fact, he goes so far as to say they're demonic. And if you live according to this wisdom, you will see the fruit. And I think we see a lot of this in our world today. People follow voices, ideas, messages that claim to be wise. They're the experts. But the fruit is destruction and division. Don't take that daily dose of wisdom. Instead, ingest the type of wisdom in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. So yes, right. that brings us back to Paul Copan's point, right? Wisdom is a skill at living, but... It must be rightly connected to God and his word. True wisdom can never be secular without God. That was the wisdom of verses 14 to 16. We see the difference in the fruits. Do you want division and disorder? Or do you want peace, gentleness, and mercy? Take a daily dose of wisdom, but beware which dose you take. And if you want to know God's will for your life, it's it's never to pursue the fruit of the worldly wisdom. You know, I once asked a seminary professor about God's will, and his answer always struck me. He said this, God's will is simply this, love him and obey his commands and law. That's it. And if you do that, he might reveal something more specific. And to me, that was really profound. In other words, when seeking God's will, we should always start with what is clear, Get God's moral will right, and then, and then he might trust you with something more specific. And when you're in the middle of the maze, here's what I've discovered. The point is you got to follow his voice, the voice of the guide. Pursue Jesus. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you get that part right, the other decisions might, might not be so complicated. So wisdom is skillful living, but let's ask and answer a second question. Why do we need it? Why do we need it? And at this point in the message, you might say, well, isn't the answer obvious, right? I just want to be skilled at life. I want to to build up my, my muscles of wisdom. Yes, but we need to grow in wisdom at every stage of life and apply it to our times. So I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Author Robert Fulgham Uh, You probably have never heard of him, but he wrote an article in the Kansas City Times, which was pretty insightful. He said, most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. My daughter's in kindergarten right now. This is true. 
Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but it was right there in the sandbox in nursery school, right over here at Little Footprints. If you want to be wise, take a stroll out there later today. He says, these are the things I learned. Look at this. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, and when you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together, right? And all that's true. And some of us need to go back to kindergarten because we miss the basics. But as we get older and the world changes, what we need is more wisdom for at least three reasons that Solomon says. The first one is we live in a complex time. We live in a complex time. Now, there's questions that people are asking today previous generations just did not have to grapple with. I'm sorry, they just didn't. I mean, yes, there's the pressing questions of life and education and economics and gender and sexuality, but but there's also new issues issues like artificial intelligence. Like, what should a Christian think about chat GPT? How do we interact with technology Wisdom affects the whole of life. We don't need less wisdom. We need more wisdom. Now, starting in verse 2, Solomon introduces a few case studies for wise living. Look at this. Verse 2, he says, Obey the king, since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Now, why do we need wisdom? Uh, In a word, politics. And we can end the sermon right there. But you can see why Solomon uses this as a topic. Even today, over the last few years, people have started to ask the question in earnest, what is the Christian's relationship to the government? It seems like madness. What do we need? We need wisdom. Wisdom from above, not below. And the truth is, no matter who's in office, inevitably, somebody won't be satisfied. What's Solomon saying here? He mentions a couple things. First, he says, you got to obey the king, you got to do your duty, you got to not plot evil, because you made a vow to God, and the king can do what he wants. And you say, huh? And then he goes on, he says, nobody can resist or question the king, which sounds really strange to American ears. Now, one other thing we know... From one of the things we know from other scriptures, like Genesis 9, Romans 13, is that God has given us government for our good, right? Good governments do necessary things like restrain evil. Now, not every government's good, but a good government should be doing things like that. But if you back up and you understand the cultural context, an ancient Near Eastern king functioned very different than an elected official. He was an autocrat and somebody who could not simply be corrected. So how does Solomon advise us in this situation? How should we interact with an ungodly earthly king? Well, look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there's a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. So he says... Essentially, if you just resist the king, you're going to have no influence. It's not what? It's not wise to do that. Instead, be patient and wait for the right time, like a Queen Esther, to influence this person. And if you wait for the proper moment, you will not waste your influence on a lost cause. 
So how does Solomon exhort us? He says, do what is right. Find a time and a way to do what is right. Let that be what you're known for. And this can, be, this can be a tension, I know, right? And it's still true today. Christians should be known for, for doing what's right, even in the face of opposition. In fact, the Apostle Peter, uh, he, he wrote in a very complex time in history for Christians, uh, he expresses the same sentiment in his letter to the church. What does he say? First Peter uh, uh, 2, he says, it, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God, respect the king. Now, what's God's will in this verse? What does he say? Live an honorable life so that you what? You silence ignorant people. Don't do evil. Instead, respect everyone, even the king. Oh, you say, man, that is hard. Yeah, we need wisdom to live it out. Now, of course, this is a different time, but the overall point is this. Our world is complex, and we need wisdom to navigate those thorny issues. We need God's wisdom, even in the realm of government and politics. So that's, that's reason number one. The second reason we need more wisdom today is this. We live in an uncertain time. We live in an uncertain time. Can I get a hearty amen to that statement? I mean, who knows what's going to happen, like, later this year or tomorrow or, you know, at 12 o'clock today. Who knows? Wars are raging. Supply chains are still disrupted. Grocery and gas prices are still high. Does anybody wish they knew exactly what was going to happen tomorrow? So Solomon, though, tempers our expectations in verse 7. He says, indeed... How can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And I love that image, dark battle, yes. And that's really uplifting, really Solomonic. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you might die. Well, it's true, and it and actually is kind of a wise statement, but it's also a sobering one. But again, that's why we need more wisdom. We're walking through this maze of life. We may feel lost, and we don't know what's coming next, but Solomon says there's one thing, one thing you can know for certain. Verse 8, he says, and in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. In other words, that's a callback to those two different kinds of wisdom. In the face of uncertainty... We will be very tempted to trust the wisdom of this world. And, and, and this is what happens, right? When our backs are against the wall, when the finances are tight, when life just doesn't seem fair, we start listening to the voice of those who tell us what we want to hear rather than the voice of God. And wisdom seems distant. That's what Solomon says in chapter 7. And here it feels like he's pulling us further into the abyss but again, Solomon has been saying all along, we got a choice. You can run to God or you can run away from God. And I would choose God because thirdly, Solomon tells us that we live in a dark time. So we live in a time that's complex, uncertain, and very dark. 
And this feels kind of macabre right now, but I think Solomon's building his case for why we need more wisdom. The sun is going down in the maze. We need some help. We need to know what to do. But in verses 9 to 11, his observations really hit home. Look at verse 9. He says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun where people have the power to hurt each other. So three quick observations about that one verse. Solomon says he's thought deeply, which we all should do. He brings back the under the sun language, which this is the reality of life in a fallen world. And then third, the most main aspect of life is that people hurt other people. Now, if I brought that closer to home, I'm willing to wager that everyone in this room has been hurt by or has hurt somebody else. Everyone. And and if you haven't, God bless you, it's going to happen at some point in time. And this has come in the form of hurtful words, broken promises, marginalized feelings, harmful actions like abuse or deceit or maybe even violence in some cases. Now, earlier in Ecclesiastes, Solomon has made the point that the good life, the meaningful life, is always found in deep relationships with others and with God. The problem is, and you know this, when you open yourself up to somebody, you have given them power to hurt you. If you love somebody, they can reject you. A potential mate, a spouse, a child a friend, and it hurts deeply. See, we live in a time when this hurt is just becoming commonplace, and that's really tragic. Right? So in verse 10, Solomon reiterates what Pastor Dave discussed last week. Good things can still happen to bad people. It's meaningless. But then he makes this observation in verse 11. He says, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. Like if there's no consequences for your actions, it's almost like people are emboldened because they feel safe to do evil. That's madness. And yet this is the world we live in. But it's actually been the world we've always lived in. Life is complex. Life is uncertain. Life is dark. We need wisdom. What does Jesus himself tell us to do? Matthew, Matthew 10. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be what? Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, if you've been with us for this whole series, I think you're getting used to Solomon's kind of bleak outlook on life. <laughs> but you also know that at some point we make the turn towards hope and beauty. Because the thing I've just appreciated about Ecclesiastes is that Solomon, he does not hold, he doesn't pull the punches. He just came up he just keeps bringing it, right? He gives us the bad news before we can get the good news. Don't miss that. Because this is what some of us do. Um, let, me, let me give you an illustration. I, I heard a story once of a man who planted tulips amongst weeds in his garden. And then his groundkeeper came in one day with a weed eater. Coming in, wanting to take out the weeds, and he gets up to this part where the tulips were planted in the weeds, and he's like, he's getting ready to go. He's going, wants to take them all out. Ran out of gas. So the, <laughs> the owner of the garden comes in and says, hold up a second. You don't know where the tulips are. 
If you just keep, you're going to destroy the tulips with the weeds. So we told the groundskeeper, why don't you come back when the tulips are tall and beautiful? And then you're going to be able to clip them out and put them in a vase for all their beauty to be seen before you destroy the weeds. Kind of looks like this. Yes, this world is dark, and I am truly sorry for the pain that you've experienced. But I think we need to trust that God is using it. He's doing something to accomplish His purposes in our lives. He's growing each and every one of us. He's making us wise because He is teaching us to trust Him in the midst of hurt and pain. And as he does, he's building a beautiful, glorious life in each and every one of us. So what is wisdom? It is, yes, it is skill at living life. Why do we need it? Uh, The world is complex, uncertain, and dark. But now finally, and most importantly, how do we get it? (laughs) That's what you might be asking, right? That's where Solomon turns. You say, you know, this is what I want to know. If I need wisdom, how do I acquire it? And Solomon is going to give a really simple answer, and it's actually a response he's given before. Verse 12, he says, But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long life, I know those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. Now you say, whoa, whoa. What is Solomon doing here? Okay, listen, why are those who fear God better off? I mean, listen, I listened to Pastor Dave's sermon last week, and I was reading along, and it seemed like there's a lot of times when the wicked get off the hook, right? They prosper. They make all the money sometimes. And yet Solomon says right here, what? He says, in the end, those who trust God, those who fear God, they're going to be better off, but he doesn't give any evidence. They say, why? Solomon seems to be trusting without any Supporting evidence that God is going to bring justice in the end. In other words, he's trusting by faith that God will make all things right. And that brings us back again to the question of wisdom. What is it? Yes, it's right living. But it must be connected to God and his word. And if you know the end of the story, if you've read the whole story, the whole scriptures, right... You can come back and you can realize what what God's doing in this Old Testament book. Because we have to trust that what God says in his word is true. By faith, trusting, we trust that God will one day bring justice to an unjust world. By faith, we trust that he is in control even when the world is out of control. By faith, we trust that one day Jesus himself will come back to rule this world and end all evil. And when we fear God, as Solomon says, we believe that he is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. And the more you believe in him and trust him, the more wise you will be. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You fear God. And when we fear God, ironically, it's there that we discover true joy. You fear God, you find joy. And that's where Solomon ends the whole section, with joy. Look at verse 15. He says, so I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. 
That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Now, let me ask you, does anybody else think this verse is a bit hedonistic? YOLO, live it up, have fun, right? It doesn't matter. Well, this sentiment, the sentiment in this verse is actually repeated six times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think each time it kind of throws us for a loop, like, what? But rather than being hedonistic, I think each time Solomon is telling us that we need to be present and enjoy what God has given to us. Right? The key, as he said before, is that we have to remember our Creator and that He's sovereign. And when you're in the middle of the maze, even when life is hard, you can still find joy in the arms of your Savior, Jesus, the true King. And that is why the fear of the Lord is so important to our understanding of wisdom. Because when you fear the Lord, you trust that He's in control, and then you are free to live a life trusting Him. You understand there's more to this life. You are not serving the kings of this age because you know there is one who is bigger and better. You are not destroyed by the terrible things of this world because you know that one day God will come back and make it all good. In fact, author Douglas Wilson captures this sentiment beautifully in his book, Joy at the End of the Tether. We've quoted him a few times. He says, what should a man do in a world of powerful kings and wicked men who look as though they got away with it? He should prepare to make merry. Because pursuing joy is a wise endeavor. Now, some commentators have called Ecclesiastes 8.15 evidence of God's shalom, his peace coming into our lives. Why is that? Because pure joy comes from a deep, trusting relationship with God. And when you have peace, you're going to bring peace to others. And how, how does James end his section in chapter 3, verse 18? He says, and those who are peacemakers, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Yes, that's what the world needs more of. That's what we all need more of. We need people who will trust God in the darkness, who develop a deep, intimate relationship with him and then bring peace to the world, who bring peace in the madness of our times. We need to become people who fear God and find joy in him. That's wisdom. So I just ask you today, is that you? Is that you? Are you a wise person? Or are you lost in the middle of the maze trusting yourself? Because when you're that latter type of person, you don't have peace and joy because you're terrified of the wrong thing. You have to fear God, not the maze. Wise people are joyful people. What is wisdom? It's skill at right living. Why do we need it? Because the world is complex, uncertain, and dark. How do we get it? We fear God and know he's in control, and then we find joy. And you know what? That, that is, that's what's going to set us apart in a world inflamed with madness. That, that's why wisdom can't be secular without God. When somebody doesn't know Christ and they're stuck Struck by a tragedy, like a disease, loss, financial hardship, where will they run? I mean, I just honestly don't know how people face life in the maze without Jesus. But that means that we have the opportunity to show this world where true wisdom and joy comes from. You know, the Apostle Paul 
man, he wrote, to, he wrote to a world much like ours in the first letter of the Corinthians. We went through that earlier, you know, we went through that last year. And, and at the end of chapter 1, he starts talking about what? He starts talking about wisdom. And he says, what the world thinks is wise is foolish. In other words, it's never going to get them out of the maze. God's wisdom, which to the world seems foolish, he says, that's what's going to guide you and give you purpose. God's wisdom can meet you in the middle of the maze and guide you out. Who is the wisdom? Verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because, friends, when Jesus Christ left his place in heaven and he came to earth and and chose to become a human being, wisdom invaded this world. We just have to seek it. No matter where you find yourself today, if you know Jesus and if you seek Jesus, that is wisdom. Let his love cover you. Let his voice guide you. Let his spirit empower you. He is the wisdom we need in the madness of of life, and he is the foundation we can build our lives on. So let me invite the worship team to come on stage and for one last song. And as they do, I'd like to close with a final image. And it's an image that may surprise you and sound counterintuitive, because have any of you ever been to San Francisco? Uh, and even if you haven't, you know San Francisco boasts the Golden Gate Bridge, which actually is the safest place to be in San Francisco. It will actually withstand, maybe not the traffic, but if, you know, if you're walking across, it will actually sustain, sustain um, a, a 9.0 on the Richter scale. It is a magnificent structure, and it's not going to fall for at least two reasons. Number one, it's flexible, right? It's going to sway. But I'll tell you another reason it stands. The bridge, it's just a marvel of suspension in construction. Every bit of concrete. All the pavement, every bit of steel that's in that entire bridge, it all relates one piece to another. So every piece of metal on the bridge finally gets connected to these two giant cables, which you can see there, and that they finally come up to these two great piers that go down into the bedrock and two anchors that anchor it on each side. And that's the genius of the suspension bridge. Every piece of metal, every piece of concrete, it's preoccupied with the foundation. It's satisfied with the foundation. You don't see big, huge cables going from the top of the bridge over to the the Transamerica Tower or over to the redwood trees in Marin County. You don't have that. They decide to trust in the pure living rock that those two great piers go into. And so if you want to find peace, joy, Wisdom tells us that you got to get in the center of the bridge and trust the foundation. Because your peace and joy is only as good as the foundation you're building your life on. Not a life without God, but one with Him and the finished work of Christ on the cross. So this week, fear God and you will find joy. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom both in your word and the wisdom himself who came for us. Father, for my friends who are out there walking through the maze, feeling lost and 
confused and frustrated right now, I, I pray that you would meet them right there. That you would give them the ability to hear your voice. To know your love for them. To hear them calling them to you, Lord. Maybe to repentance, to trust, to greater trust, Lord. I don't know what it is. But I pray that you would, you would take them out of that maze into the center of the bridge where we can find peace and joy and purpose, all that we long for in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for today. It's in your glorious name we pray. Amen.